Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network. I'm your host, Anna McQueen, and today I was joined by Mitch Comstock, the Senior Product Marketing Manager at Lead IQ. About a year and a half ago, Mitch was tasked with building Lead IQ's Compete program from scratch. Something I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with, getting the stakeholder buy-in, executive sponsorship, supporting your sellers, finding those quick wins, building usable content battle cards, delivering a cadence of regular competitive intel, all of those things. But I wanted to get his take now, 18 months down the road, on what he's done and what he wished he'd done better to maintain the momentum for competitive enablement and ensure that it's not just this sugar spike across the business that fades away. Because now, more than ever, sellers need support. There are less deals, and when there are less deals, they become more competitive. And so compete experts have an opportunity to help revenue teams tip those neck-and-neck deals in their favor. But it requires Compete to be top of mind, to have a strong internal brand, and to be proactive in helping support those sellers before they even know that they need help. I'd like to hear from the audience as well some of the things that you've been doing to tip those neck and neck deals in your business's favor, because that's what we're all here for. And I think that's how Compete experts can have the biggest business impact today. If you listen to today's episode and think, shoot, I'd love to hear more from Mitch, well, that's your cue to join us at Compete Week 2022. That's right. We're less than two weeks away from the biggest Compete event of the year. And the one and only Mitch Comstock will be a featured speaker on day three, a day devoted to getting done. Producer Ben, make sure to bleep that one out. This is a family program. Link to register for Compete Week is in the show notes below. Cannot wait to see you there. And with that all said, let's get into today's episode. All right, today I'm joined by Mitch Comstock, recurring guest Mitch Comstock, the Senior Product Marketing Manager at Lead IQ. Mitch has been a product marketer for more than five years, spending time at Flex Essential and Akita Box before joining Lead IQ. Also going to be a featured speaker at Compete Week 2022. So make sure you register, catch Mitch's session there, along with plenty of other awesome sessions. Mitch, thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be here, Adam. Thanks for having me. It's almost uh, it's almost a year to the day, I think, since you joined us last maybe it was around January. And a lot of things have changed since we last spoke. As we know, the market's a little bit more volatile right now. There's a lot more uncertainty. Budget freezes. There's potential layoffs, reorganizations, restructuring. And what we want to talk about today is how compete experts can make sure that compete stays top of mind, business critical, and off the chopping block. So Mitch, can you share a little bit about your experience so far with getting the initial momentum for compete and keeping that top of mind amongst the organization amidst the last year or so? Yeah. Uh, so when I joined Lead IQ about a year and a half ago, I was starting the Compete program kind of from scratch. You know, like a lot of organizations, we had uh, random documents, you know, people doing different things. But coming in, you know, building the business case for that Compete program was a big priority, and it's a big lift for any 
you know, especially solo product marketers or uh, people who are just starting kind of a product marketing team. But then after you you get the buy-in, you whether you're getting software or it's just to get resources or whatever you're looking to get from that, you know, I think we what I overlooked and what I think a lot of people overlook is you have to continue that momentum, kind of like you said. Um, it's not just getting the buy-in, then it's done. It's a daily, a weekly, a monthly thing. Um, and with all the changes that have gone on over the last year for a lot of companies, it, it's a good time to kind of reset and take a look at, you know, wh- where's your compete program stand today and how can you continue to, to build it into something bigger and better going forward? So we, we've talked offline about this. What do you see as those most important stakeholder groups that you need to be in touch with, that you need to be top of mind with in order to keep momentum, keep keep yourself off the chopping block, so to speak? Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I think the biggest thing is just making compete visible from a product marketing side, making sure that really you're seen or whoever your team is seen as kind of the experts that can can come in and help when it comes to compete. But, you know, the biggest groups or the, or the, the most important groups I look at is sales leadership being number one. You know, anytime <clears throat> if you're selling software, you're always looking for executive buy-in or an executive sponsor. Same thing with compete. You sort of need that Uh, And with sales, a lot of times being our biggest consumers for compete, getting the leadership alignment and making sure that they stay, you know, up to up to date with what you're doing and uh, you're staying up to date with what sellers need is really important. I think the second one is sales enablement. Uh, If you have that function, whether it's within you know marketing or within product marketing or or it's a separate group, um, you know, it's important to stay aligned with them, but also. Uh, you can you can sort of drive some of what sales enablement's doing based on what you see in in compete, um, and then the third is the sales reps. You know that groundswell of uh, how you can help and how you can get intel from them, and then share the intel that you're you're putting together. I mean, those three groups, and they're very sales focused. But when I think about compete, sales is always number one on what we're trying to who or who I'm trying to serve. And especially today, you need to be able to prove that you're impacting revenue, that you're tied to revenue, that you're close to the revenue engine, and that your compete work, the compete work that you're doing is moving the needle. So that makes logical sense that you've got these as your key stakeholders. Can you share with me then sales leadership, for example? What was that like to get them on board? What were the things that you did to get them on board? And now fast forward a year from now, are there things you wish you could have continued to do a little bit better or things you wanted, if you look back like, oh, this, these are the opportunities I could have had to have these people be compete supporters, compete fans for life. So when, when we, when I initially did it, you know, we, we sort of brought, you know, what documents do we have today? You know, we had a competitor Slack channel that got used sometimes, not super frequently. We had some documents that some of them were a year or two old most of them were created by sales reps just, you know, because they needed something. So they start to just put together a list of things they knew about competitors or heard. And I think that that was actually a pretty easy sell to the sales leadership of like, hey, this is what we have today. And, you know, they're, they, they've been in the business a long time. So they knew, you know, that's not good enough. That's not what the reps need. I think after getting sort of that initial buy-in though, as things changed and lead IQ was um, had, you know, new people come in, we had changes to, you know, how the org was structured. I think what I would, what I would definitely do differently is try to get a regular cadence to under, to stay on top of and keep compete top of mind for them. Cause you, you do the initial 
And then it kind of gets forgotten. You know, they've got a million things on their mind. Most of it's around pipeline and competes just a small part of what goes into that. So um, really trying to keep that top of mind, especially as you have, if you do have changes within your org where, you know, not everybody thinks about compete the same way, especially in sales. People have different ideas of what a battle card looks like or what is what is important for sales to have. So it's really vital, you know, especially when new people come in, but even as you go throughout the year to understand, you know, is everybody still aligned on what reps need and what's important? And then if you're not, you could start to discuss, you know, what's the best way forward? What, which of this, which of these makes sense? What I'm hearing from you is that sort of, this is mentality. Actually, our product marketing team always, always mentioned this. And it's something that I've kind of taken into our own work here. It's like build in public and even like share the vision, share the process in public. Because like you mentioned there, things are going to change, needs are going to change. And if people don't even know what is happening behind behind closed doors in the world of compete, then how are they going to, how, how can you tailor what you're doing? How can you support their needs? If it's that kind of chasm, there's a bit of a, a split between them. What you mentioned, and I'm thinking like there, there might be listeners that are thinking, oh crap, as they hear that, oh yeah, I got initial buy-in when I built the business case for resources tech, whatever it is for justifying having a compete program within New York. But I haven't followed up with my CMO or my director of sales. I haven't followed up in the last six months. And you mentioned that hindsight, regular cadence or touch point. What would that look like? So if someone's now like getting a little bit nervous, they're like, crap, I need to get these regular touch points. What would the cadence be? And what would you actually deliver to someone that's an executive that has different needs, probably needs information shared differently than a seller or something like that. I, I think kind of that that sales leadership, they're not necessarily going to care about you know how often this battle card was accessed by a sales rep. Um, I, I think what's really important, and you can wrap it into if you're doing a, a competitive newsletter or some kind of regular cadence in there, but. Um, you know, share some of that anecdotal feedback that you've gotten from sales, whether that's, you know, you were you were on a call with a customer helping out in a deal or um, somebody used a battle card or used a one pager or something that you had kind of created from your compete program. And you could sort of stack those. You know, I have a folder on my computer where I take screenshots of Slack messages and stuff like that to just save for later for, for things like that, that, you know, you should surface those early and often because a lot of times the sales leadership doesn't know where reps get that information. You know, they're very top level. They're just looking to see deals close. They're not in the weeds to know how a rep necessarily did it or who helped and all, all those details. So that's kind of how I, I bring, I, I'm bringing that to, to the sales leadership. So you paint in the picture. You said you, they, they don't necessarily, necessarily see everything that goes into that deal one, but you know, and the rep knows the compete and the information that they had is critical winning those neck and neck deals. The ones that they should have won compete is obviously it's not the sole piece of the pie. We're not taking full credit from sellers here, but it is a critical piece. And how, how do you go about getting seller qualitative feedback sellers to partner with you to, to give, give compete the recognition it deserves, so to speak. I, I think that just comes, you know, organically and naturally if you're delivering value. Um, if if what you're putting together and 
you know, this gets into when we talk, you know, think about sales reps and how you, you can support them. But, you know, if you're giving them stuff that's, that's helping a lot of times they, I've, I've found that sales reps are very appreciative of that kind of work. Um, because again, you know, they're, they're driven by closed deals by hitting quota. And if they're getting help from product marketing or for compete to, to do that, uh, they're usually pretty quick to, to give you a shout out. Um, a lot of times though, it's privately directly to you, which is where you want to save some of that. But, uh, yeah, I think it really just comes down to value and, and you could do things around, um, if you're doing a, uh, competitive survey or a sales confidence survey, like that's one way you can get it sort of anonymously, but yeah. And I think building that relationship with them is the other part of that is, you know, having some, some making sure they know who you are, they know your face and they feel comfortable coming to you. The more you can build that, the more likely they are to, uh, to sort of recognize that support. And what you mentioned there, sales have quota to hit. And it's more difficult than ever before for them to hit quota. So they're looking. They need all the support they can get. So really it is this opportunity for Compete to be the thing that helps them through these difficult times when their pipeline might be a little bit more dried up than it was before. And what I love is building that genuine relationship. You mentioned if you deliver value, it will come. And thinking of it in my own context, like the uh, on our like from the clue side of things, working on the content team over here, one of the concepts I stole from who did I? St- I saw it online, but it was great. And you mentioned that like those internal messages are great, but hey, sometimes you got to stand up and vouch for yourself and sh- share with leadership those moments i like to do something on our content team which is like the trophy room where you pull clips from gong people shouting out the content or those sellers those disparate slack messages that were really cool but hey maybe your ceo maybe your director sales didn't see that but when you collect all of those data points because those qualitative feedback they really are data points you pull them together into one slide or a collection then it makes it a bit more powerful right to share the executives Yo, this is what we're doing on the product marketing compete side. And this is only a sliver of what I'm doing as a product marketer. Yeah, you definitely need to to toot your own horn a little bit. Because yeah, they're again, they're, they're not going to go out of their way to find it. So so bringing it to them. Um, and yeah, wrapping it into some of the, the deliverables you're already you're already doing there. Um, but you definitely touched on something of, you know, deals are becoming more competitive. The, the, the way that the market has gone, you know, Longer deal cycles, the scrutiny around you know what we're buying, all of that, just means that compete becomes even more important. So, you know, it's not going to be. It's not that sales doesn't care about compete, but again, they're they're heads down focused on. So you have to kind of push your way in a little bit and and deliver some of that value um, and uh, some of the recognition that you're getting. So the second stakeholder group you mentioned there was sales enablement. Like you need to partner with sales enablement. You're in a unique example, I believe, as the product marketer. There's probably folks listening today. That's the product marketer, solo, compete team of one, wearing many hats. You're probably the researcher, the analyzer, and the enabler all in one. And that's what you were originally. And then sales enablement came into the picture. They The function got established at Lead IQ after you'd set up compete. What was that like with sales enablement coming? You know that from a compete standpoint, enablement is such a core piece to what we need to do to be successful. So what was that like when sales enablement came in? Yeah, it's 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 different when you're if you've been running some enablement or or all of enablement, it's definitely it's definitely for the better, you know, having a team that can sit there and, and do it where 
product marketing or compete is delivering the content. I think the trap that you might find yourself in is, you know, if sales enablement's driving the entire agenda for what that month's training looks like, um, you know, you as product marketing or compete, you still have a seat at the table. And when you see things that need to, to happen, you shouldn't be afraid to reach out and and make that happen. You know, make the case on why we need to do training on this competitor or, you know, talk about this trend that we're seeing from multiple of our competitors, things like that. And I think that's where having some of the data, you know, around if you have win loss or even just understanding how often competitors are coming up in deals. That's one way, good way to do it. Um, as you see a new announcements come out, things like that. Uh, if you have a, a gong or a, a call recording service and you can hear some you know, common words that are coming up or common objections that you're hearing, that's where you could start to make that case using some of that. But yeah, I think, you know, don't be, don't be too passive with sales enablement. They're, they're looking for material to help the sales team. That's, that's what they're there to do. So make sure you're driving some of that from the product marketing compete side so that it doesn't become, you know, take a back seat to everything else. Cause there's always, there's always a million things that they're trying to get the sales reps to do. What kind of enablement sessions have you found have been the most sticky for sales reps or the most valuable? Um, I think anything that has, you know, a proof or some sort of like something that they can watch and see in real time or, or real life. So that's where the call recording is really great. You can show um, we have we have I've had examples of, you know, a competitor has changed their positioning and I go into uh, our call recording into Gong, and I find that one of our solutions engineers nailed the objection before I even had a chance to put it together. And that's just so easy to just take that and say, "Hey, if you hear this, you know, we know they're talking about X, Y, Z. You know, here's a best practice response from so and so." And then you're kind of you're giving them the good answer, but you're also shouting out somebody who you know had done a good job on that, which is another way to build some of that trust with them. That those I think are always way more valuable than us going through slides or, you know, talking about news stories, like get some real, or even just pull the objections you're handling or hearing from prospects, get some of that from your sales team, whether it's just them telling you, or like I said, if you have uh, actual video and recordings of them saying it. We'll be right back after a word from the Compete Network. Hey everyone, I'm Jason Oakley, co-host of Compared to What, a show where my friend Federico and I dive deep into the all-important tool in a product marketer's toolkit, the comparison page. We guide you through real-life examples from brands like Shopify and BigCommerce, Chromecast and Airtable, Asana, ClickUp, and more, taking a look at the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly along the way. So come watch Federico and myself on season one of Compared to What, only on the Compete Network. All right, back to the show. To your point, though, sales enablement isn't just compete. And there's probably a lot of needs. There's probably a lot of things they need to fill for a seller. There's probably a lot of seller requests. But what what have you done or what have you started to do to get your foot in the door and showcase the sales enablement? Hey, we should be running more sessions on competitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you're probably meeting with sales enablement um, or, or having some kind of regular check-in with them. But when when I think about one of the things I started doing to bring some more um, credence or, or some more power to what I'm talking about from Compete is uh, uh, I've actually started tracking the ad hoc requests I get for Compete. So, you know, every week, I'm sure every, everybody that's listening to this gets this where 
you know, sales rep A reaches out about this thing. Sales rep B on Wednesday reaches out about that thing. Um, but having kind of just a running list of all those, and then you could start to see some trends that you might miss otherwise. Um, and then using that list to bring it to, you know, into a sales enablement meeting to say, you know, hey, in the last month, I've had 10 reps ask me about this uh, competitor. Like, we should probably do a, a you know, a quick training or a, I could do a video about it. Like, you can work around the the tactical on that. But that helps, again, show, you know, A, what's going on in your world so that that sales enablement, that's good for sales leadership too, to see something like that. But um, it also has kind of the proof point to say, you know, this is what I'm hearing. Can we do something on it? Or I feel like we should be doing something on that. It's really showcasing like the demand for what you provide or like your service, really. It's another way. Like, I mean, we mentioned at the top, same with the executive. They don't know how the sausage is made. They just need to know it's been made. But you is really upon you as a compete person to build in public, show your work, show where that demand is and show where you're filling in gaps within an organization. Absolutely. Uh, especially yep. if there's a new sales enablement function that's developed. Like you need to start working in tandem with them. They There's an opportunity there if you don't communicate, if you don't work with them for compete to fall, fall to the side. Or there's another set of hands that can help you bring compete into what you're doing to support reps to win deals again, especially when it's harder and harder to win deals, which gets us to that last stakeholder group sellers themselves, having sellers in the field that are not only using your content, but are vouching for your content and for you as well as that compete expert. What are some of the ways that you've been working hand in hand with reps? And for, again, listeners, what are the things that they could do tomorrow to start building a really strong rapport with sellers are going to go to bat for them. Yeah. You know, it, it's all about staying close. Um, and, and there were some things shared on LinkedIn recently, you know, when we're doing compete or sales enablement or whatever, you know, you're not, not every rep is going to take what you're delivering, especially if you've got seasoned reps, they, they've at your company for a long time. Like they know a lot of this stuff cause they've lived it, they've done it. So, but when we're thinking about sales reps, there are sales reps who need your help and need your content. So it's about finding those, um, you know, and just staying close to them, especially, you know, if you have new hires coming in, that's a great batch to sort of start working with. And like one of the things that I've started doing is, you know, every quarter at least, or every, every couple months, I'm trying to meet with all our sales reps for 15 minutes. And I ask them four questions around, you know, how's the, how's our messaging landing? Um, what are you hearing from prospects and customers in terms of, you know, common themes or common trends that they're talking about? Um, you know, what competitors are coming up a lot? And, you know, where do you need help in terms of content, training? And those four questions, I mean, that gets you through those 15 minutes. But if you do that regularly, they start to expect that and really start to, that gets to the heart of how we can help an individual rep as they, you know, do come up against more competitors, more competitive deals. Uh, in today's market, for sure. You also mentioned, I think you mentioned a little bit before as well around surveying reps. What are sort of the questions or the findings that you're you're getting with these these surveys to reps? Yeah, uh, yeah. So we do a, like a sales confidence survey, um, which compete is part of that. But really, what we're what I'm looking for from that is to get a general sense across the sales team. You know, how are we feeling when we talk about? this competitor or, you know, how is our messaging landing you know, on a scale of one to five? And it it's something really good to just track, you know, trends over time. So you want to do it on like a regular cadence, but 
that's a good way to get a lot of feedback. And then those kind of 15 minute sessions are the more personal, like, you know, what are you hearing specifically? And I can kind of, I've been able to pinpoint, you know, a common theme amongst, you know, the five or six reps I talk to each month in those sessions to, to see things that, you know, we might miss in the larger survey, which is more, um, you know, what content do we need to do? Uh, you know, where, what might we need to reinforce some things? I think that gets at a more higher level when we think about compete and what we're doing. That's interesting. You've kind of pairing the two together to paint uh, a clear picture, a clear picture every time, right? That I, what I love from a survey standpoint, it's not science, but it is a way to kind of, even like what you mentioned about like kind of um, tallying up ad hoc requests on specific objections or competitors. Like it's not, we're not going deep into your CRM data. It's it's a little bit of tallying on the side of your desk, but it is valuable, these kind of data points like that. And then if you color it in with like those specific quotes, specific examples, here's what I heard from Enterprise AE who tackles our biggest deals. Like if he's saying something or she's saying something, then shoot, it matters. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned something around staying close. And I think there's something around staying close and also being of value to these reps. So what are some of the ways that you are of value? Yeah, I, and I think it comes with building those relationships, but you know, there's a lot of ways that we can bring value from a a product marketing compete side. You know, I've, I've sat on customer calls when there's been a specific compete question. Like I just did that a couple of weeks ago where prospect heard this from this customer and they brought me in as kind of the compete expert to, you know, provide my take, my point of view on that. So yeah, I think I, I think there's a ton of ways that we can do it, whether that's actual deal support like that. You know, it, it's updates to the battle cards, it's supporting enablement. You know, it really depends on your org and how, you know, I want to say how mature your sales team is, how mature the enablement is. But I, I would definitely say start small if you're starting from scratch. You know, just talking to the reps on a day-to-day basis will start to build that relationship where then they start to look at you as, you know, someone I can go to for questions. If, uh, you know, I need specific help in a deal, it's a good way to, to start going about it. Absolutely. Staying close, building relationship. And then there's also that like regular cadence, that flow of communication. Is it your newsletter? Is it updated battle cards? Is it those just kind of personal touch points that you mentioned and putting 15 in the calendar? Like there's, it's not one, there's not one panacea to this. It's multi. It's what I'm hearing from you is it's consistency and multiple touch points, really, because you're trying to you're really trying to provide value and not what what leadership, what sales enablement, and what sellers need is very different. And how you communicate, the channels you reach them, the messages you share is completely different, really. But you need these three groups to be on your side, to be the people that. When they're, when they're in a neck and neck deal, they're struggling to come up with the answers to really closing a deal against a competitor. They're going to look to you. They, they need to think. The first thing they think about is, shoot, Mitch probably has the answer or Mitch knows someone that has the answer or Mitch mm-hmm. said something two weeks ago. Let me, let me go back to that. It's really how do you stay top of mind with these three different levels, I guess, of management or three different levels and especially groups that are that close to revenue right now, which matters more than ever. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's tough if we, if we bring it back to, you know, building the momentum and keeping that momentum, you know, doing this week in, week out 
it, it's hard. And especially as changes happen, you know, sales reps come and go, leadership changes. But it is really important because you don't want to end up in a situation where you're thinking about compete one way and sales leadership has a completely different idea, you know, and that might be why your your content doesn't get used or, you know, you're not hearing from reps because they don't, they're not being taught or not thinking about it the same way that, that you are and what you're delivering. So yeah, it, it's really hard, but yeah, it comes back to what you said at the beginning of build, build publicly or be, be out there. Like, you know, we talk about on our, on our marketing team, we talk about, you know, we want to overload our sales team with, with leads to the point that we then have to adjust. You know, you can think about compete the same way. Like I want to be overloaded with compete requests and then I can start to put up guardrails of, you know, what are we going to do? What are we not going to do? But you got to get to there first before you, before you can start doing that. So that's a good problem to have if you start getting into that. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is, this is great, Mitch. Uh, I've got a couple rapid fire questions. Would you like to ask our guests? Are you keen to dive in here? Let's do it. All right. First one, you wake up tomorrow and you've got 10x the budget for Compete. How are you spending it? Oh, dang. Um, well, in my role, we'd, we'd hire a specific Compete person because we're, we're still product marketing, you know, wearing, wearing a lot of different hats. So, I mean, I, I would hire specifically on that. I would bring in some kind of win-loss uh, consulting or software or something, some something that can really own part of that and help us automate that process. Cause that's another, we didn't really talk about that, but that's a good data point to have to feed to a lot of these groups, at least having one. And especially with our, the way that lead IQs evolved, you know, we could even have two people focused on different uh, industries and, and features there. Sad. That would be, those would be two that I'd go for, for sure. What's one thing that you individually are working on to close out the year strong in Compete? Yeah, so we are, we're starting the process now. It's going to make me sound uh, whatever, but uh, we're starting the process of win-loss now. So getting our reports in from Salesforce on uh, competitors, where we stand today. Um, what I'd like to do going into next year is to actually start doing some of those interviews with, with customers and prospects. Um, but we got to know where we start there. So I'm, I'm really excited about that, but, uh, yeah, it'll be good data to have and something we've, we've been missing so far. What's one book you'd recommend to our listeners? So I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big history guy and I just watched the Netflix movie for this, but, um, if you like his, if you like history, like I do, uh, all quiet on the Western front, uh, also, the, Net- the Netflix movie was really, really good. Um, was it? Yeah, it, it's a good watch. But uh, yeah, that, that I think would be my top of mind one that I'd go to. All right, I got my Friday night booked. And last question, <laughs> producer Ben has shamelessly seeded this question for me because he knows you're a baseball fan. So mm. favorite baseball player and who's the greatest baseball player of all time? Oh, um. I still, I still think Ken Griffey is the greatest, the, had the most talent out of anybody. He got hurt. He got hurt near the end of his career, so he doesn't have the um, some of the records that he might have. But that swing was something. The, probably the best looking swing you'll ever see. Um, what was the other part of it? Best ever, and then my favorite or favorite. I mean, right, right now, I'm a big Bryce Harper fan. Uh, just in terms of you know, really talented, but. 
not he's not as good as Mike Trout, but he's got more uh, more swag to him, and he's more fun to watch with some of that. So uh, I'll say him, and he just had a good postseason, so it's a good time for it too. A little more moxie. Uh, and compete pros you can take that lesson have a bit more moxie have a bit more uh, self promotion because you need to get yourself out there we know that compete is business critical and it's upon us to make sure that the entire organization sees compete the same way mitch thank you so much for joining me today and we'll catch everyone else next week